0: Life Audio. Hello and welcome to Kainos Project. I'm Dale. And I am Tamara.
1: And we are here to help you tackle ancient truths in everyday settings.
0: So let's get started.
1: Well, I think it's safe to say that it has been a long pandemic.
0: Is that a safe thing to say? I don't know.
1: We have been living in these uncertain times.
0: (laughs) Everyone always starts their emails that way. And the new normal. (laughs)
1: There's actually a lot of life that has happened since COVID-19 began. Uh, Our firstborn son was actually only seven months old when the first shelter-in-place orders came down. Since then, we've had another son in the middle of the pandemic. We've had job changes, we bought a house, and we've lived a lot of life since the pandemic started.
0: The pandemic has gone on longer longer. Then Two Weeks. I expected yeah, two weeks. The two weeks that (laughs) remember the two weeks of flatten the
1: curve? Oh man, we were so young, so naive.
0: People were so excited, like two weeks off work. But then it just kept going and it wasn't as exciting anymore, was it? Yeah.
1: Yeah, and ever since that time the world has been raging. Not in a good way. Yeah. There have been a number of other social issues uh coming to a head at the same time. And we don't have time to discuss all of those today. But in the midst of all that, government officials, medical professionals, businesses and churches were all making tough decisions based on the information we had available to us at any given moment. And at any given moment, especially towards the beginning, uh, we didn't have a ton of information and we had even less good information. So decisions evolved over time and people strongly agreed or disagreed uh, with each of those evolutions as they came whether it was lockdown orders or school and business closures vaccine mandates pretty much every turn there's been sharp disagreement on either side of the issue
0: right and i haven't done much research on this so this comment is not supported by research but uh, but you heard it here first (laughs) you didn't hear it here first i'm sure but i think we really are living in like just these uncertain times no i mean they're uncertain right but it's just like highly confrontational and everyone is on the edge always it's like either you're all in this camp or you're all in this camp and there's no nuance there's no in between there's it's like all or nothing right now and i've never been more afraid to talk about anything i mean i'm not that old but yeah You get what I'm saying.
1: Well, and I'm never afraid to talk about anything. So we are the perfect pair.
0: I don't, yeah. I don't know if that's what makes us the perfect pair, but yeah, that's accurate. (laughs) You're not afraid and I am. There it is.
1: (laughs) All right. And so now it appears that the worst is behind us. We know that COVID still exists. The pandemic is still a thing, but the worst is behind us. But even still, we still have deep disagreements in our society and many of us want to continue to highlight those disagreements and point out each other's mistakes where each one was wrong in the past two plus years and hurl insults at each other and oftentimes call each other Nazis and murderers and what Gosh, have you.
0: You really, you really picked out the most harsh insults
1: out there. I think the through line of the last couple of years has been people calling each other Nazis. That's have you ever wild. heard of uh, Godwin's Law of Nazi analogies? No. It's this adage that the longer uh, a conversation goes, particularly in an online forum, the the higher the likelihood that an analogy involving Nazis or Hitler is going to be used. Wow. Well, Regardless of the yeah. topic.
0: No, I mean I've seen it happen, right? Like you've you've ended up in the comment section and you're like, "Whoa, how did we get here?" Yeah, especially is when right, you're on Zen. like
1: when you're on Facebook and then you see like the first comment
0: and then you see like <laughs> the last the comment worst.
1: and then it's like, I loved this new movie. And then like the last comment is like <laughs> you're a Nazi and then there's like 300 comments in between that you have to like open that accordion.
0: Yeah, and you're really trying to figure out how we got there. Right. And it doesn't even make sense how we got there.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And so in the midst of that, there was this article that was recently published in The Atlantic calling for an end to the vitriol. And it was written by an economist at Brown University named Emily Oster, and it's titled, Let's Declare Pandemic Amnesty. And so I want to talk about whether or not we should declare pandemic amnesty at this point in the game, but we'll get into that in just a moment. All right. So this article in The Atlantic called Let's Declare Pandemic Amnesty, it's trying to highlight the fact that there's been a lot of COVID water under the bridge. And maybe it's time to just call it a wash and declare amnesty on each other and decide that we're not going to call each other Nazis, at least not on this particular issue.
0: That's a big ask, isn't it? It is. Yeah.
1: So the idea of amnesty is is this concept of an official pardon. It's uh, an official release from the punishment of crimes, particularly political offenses. And so the idea here, put forth by Emily Oster, is that regardless of where you fell on the issues of lockdowns or masks or vaccines, that it's time for us to forgive one another and just move on. And this argument is based on the assumption that when it came to the pandemic, we were all doing the best we could given the information that we had, which, as we said before, at any given point in the ballgame was not very good information. Like, remember at the beginning when we were going to the grocery store and there was all these arrows on the floor and we were wearing gloves and then we would bring our groceries home and we would rinse them off in the sink?
0: I remember us sort of doing that. Um I remember hearing stories of other people's processes, and I just thought, wow, that's too much. I can't. I want to, <laughs> but I can't. He said, if I'm going to die,
1: <laughs> I'm going to die. I'm not going to wash the outside of these lays potato chips.
0: I mean, we tried and we wanted to, right? But it, yeah, it just became really a lot and we didn't go that far but I do remember people talking about they had like a separate container they would put them in in the car and then like you know Clorox wipe it all put it in a different container take off the whole outfit you were wearing and I was just thinking that's great like you guys are really preventing the spread of this at that time like we you know we thought that's what needed to be done um and I thought man this shouldn't be up to me because everyone's going to die if it's up to me. This right. At that point, it's like
1: you go outside. It's in the air. You're going to die. Your immune system's going to evaporate. As it turns out, none of that was true. The virus didn't yeah, but we just go didn't know. on surfaces. Yeah, but we were doing all these things with yeah. with the information that we had. And it turns out it wasn't very good information. And then remember when we were told that vaccines would stop the virus in its tracks if you got the vaccine, it would no longer be transmitted to people. Yes turns out it was still transmitted to people you just didn't end up in the hospital or die if you had the vaccine but we again were saying things and doing things based on information that was not the best information at the time
0: right and that's a good example of i mean even now i have some people who make fun of me for getting the vaccination saying see and you still ended up with covid so much for that protection um but that even those types of comments are Like, see, I was on the right side of this issue and you were on the wrong side. You were on the foolish side of it. Um, And we can just go round and round with something like this, right? Instead of giving each other grace and also understanding we were all in the same situation of not really having as much clarity as we would like to have for the decisions that were being made. And yet we're all acting as if We knew all of the pieces and our decision was the right decision based on actually knowing something.
1: Right. And depending on the specific issue within the broader issues of the pandemic, some people were right and some people were wrong. And of course, there are shades of right and wrong with every issue because this is nuanced and a lot of it is just like a matter of degree. And so like some people were right based on their good reasoning. Some people were right about one thing even though they had terrible reasoning, but they just happened you know, to pick the right answer out of the hat on that particular issue. Some people were wrong even though they had good reasoning. And then there were other people who were wrong and they just had terrible reasoning. So there were a lot of people right and wrong and it didn't seem to bear much influence how well reasoned you were because the information we had was always just evolving. But we were all just doing the best we could. And so what Emily Oster is saying is that We should just call a truce on all of this. And I want to read some of the things that were in that article. But before I I say that, there are people who read this article in the Atlantic, uh, Let's Declare Pandemic Amnesty, and we'll link to it in the show notes. Uh, But a lot of people are calling Oster a leftist, um, mostly people who disagree with her. Uh, almost exclusively, I would say, exclusively people who disagree with her, right? Uh, but it's important to note that she was right about a couple of things over and against some of the CDC's recommendations. So, like, she was vocally opposed to schools being closed for as long as they were, and it turns out that the educational effects were worse than probably would have happened. What would have happened with COVID transmission after a certain point, and maybe school should have been opened earlier and would have staved off some of the educational lack that now a lot of students are facing. Um, and she was never really for draconian mandates on vaccines. She was pro-vaccine, but she um, was a little bit more libertarian when it came to some of those, those harsher mandate requirements. Even still, even though she was right on a couple of things, and I'm sure she was right, wrong on some other things, she thinks it's time for us to forgive one another and move on. And so what, what I want to do is I want to read some of the excerpts from her article to give you an idea of kind of the tone and the argument of what she's talking about here. So she says, the people who got it right, for whatever reason, they may want to gloat. Those who got it wrong, for whatever reason, they may feel defensive and retrench into a position that does not accord with the facts. All of this gloating and defensiveness continues to gobble up a lot of social energy and to drive the culture wars, especially on the internet. These discussions are heated, unpleasant, and ultimately unproductive. In the face of so much uncertainty, Getting something right has a hefty element of luck, as we've seen with the pandemic. She goes on to say, and similarly, getting something wrong wasn't a moral failing. Treating pandemic choices as a scorecard on which people racked up more points than others is preventing us from moving forward. We have to put these fights aside and declare pandemic amnesty, We can leave out the willful purveyors of actual misinformation while forgiving the hard calls that people had no choice but to make with imperfect knowledge. She goes on to say later, we need to learn from our mistakes and then let them go. We need to forgive the attacks too. Because I thought that schools should reopen and argued that kids as a group were not at high risk. And I was called a quote, teacher killer and a quote, genocide heir. It wasn't pleasant, but feelings were high. And I certainly don't need to dissect and rehash that time for the rest of my days. Moving on is crucial now because the pandemic created many problems that we still need to solve. And she goes on to talk about the educational issues um, with children who are still behind because of school uh, closures, um, widespread neglect of regular healthcare, such as like non COVID vaccines for kids. Um, A lot of kids are behind on their regular vaccines um, because doctors were shut down unless you were dying for so long
0: you couldn't go in for wellness checks anymore i mean that happened with us our we've seen our kids far behind on vaccinations because we just weren't allowed to make those kinds of appointments
1: right and so she says these are the larger issues that we can address now that have nothing to do with lockdowns that happened two years ago uh she goes on to say quote the standard saying Is that those who forget the past are doomed to repeat it, but dwelling on the mistakes of history can lead us to a repetitive doom loop as well. Let's acknowledge that we made complicated choices in the face of deep uncertainty and then try to work together to build back and move forward. So she says a little bit more in the article, but that's essentially her argument. Uh, I want to talk a little bit more about the response to it and then maybe uh, discuss kind of whether she has a point here, but we'll do that in just a moment. So the responses to this piece, let's declare pandemic amnesty on Twitter, were mixed. And Twitter is a bit of a wild west right now, as it always has been, but even more so now that Elon Musk is the new Twitter daddy.
0: Uh, So (laughs) the responses were mixed
1: (laughs) with some people agreeing, actually a fair bit number of people agreeing, but their responses were less colorful and exciting than the people who were voicing their displeasure.
0: That's usually how it goes, though.
1: Yeah, I mean, say what you will about people who are angry on the Internet, but they they certainly have a way with words sometimes. And so one person tweeted back, just dropping by to say that your new article is a piece of trash, and you are too. We ain't letting you wannabe tyrants get away with what y'all did during the scamdemic. (laughs) Another person simply said, never, you're all evil. Nazis. There it is. That's not the only one, too. I only I only selected a couple of Nazi references for this list of tweets. Another person said, you must remember that supporting violations of informed medical consent and untold deaths by medical experimentation resulted in the Nuremberg trials and not blanket amnesty. Again, another more clever reference to Nazis. And then uh, another person actually wrote an entire article on Substack refuting Oster and I clicked on it just to see, and it was a bit of a dumpster fire. It was just, like, a bunch of personal attacks. It was literally, like, it was literally twice the length of her article. And it was, like, just attack after attack. And I think there was Nazi in there somewhere. But apart from the personal attacks, Tamara, what do you think Dale, about... <laughs> <laughs> what do you think i'm not talking to the listener i'm I talking like, to you
0: i'm i'm here hello i have not fallen asleep wake up. sorry
1: <laughs> so what do you think put on your thinking cap what do you think about the cross-section Ew. of the the arguments here of saying no we need accountability versus we need forgiveness and how are those two ideas at play here In this plea for pandemic amnesty.
0: That's really a loaded question. And you're good about giving me loaded questions. Like what do you think. About the fact that people should be held accountable. But maybe we should also forgive them. I think there's obviously a need for both of those things. To what degree can we actually hold somebody accountable. For knowledge that no one had. No one living who was making any kind of leadership decisions or making any kind of calls on what was happening have endured a pandemic before. Like we were all here for the first time. We were all looking at it for the first time. And the COVID-19 virus is new in a lot of ways, right? So you have coronavirus, that element of it is familiar, but this is a completely different version of it. And there were so And there still are just a lot of unknowns. And I can only imagine being a doctor trying to help people through a virus that we don't quite understand yet. So what measure of accountability is required for a doctor who is doing the best they can with a virus that they have no idea how to treat? They have no idea how to help with symptoms. They have no idea how the virus attacks. Like we're figuring it out while we're trying to treat people. That's hard. Right. Um, But I understand, was there some kind of neglect happening? I mean, I don't think I have enough knowledge within the medical field to be able to really dissect, well, they could have tried this and they could have did this. Um, I know there's a lot of people out there who think they have medical degrees all of a sudden. Um, and they don't, (laughs) I mean, everyone's an expert now, right? Everyone's an expert on everything and no one went to school for it, but somehow they're experts because of course, if you're going to college and getting an education on these things, then they're just trying to sell you what they want to sell you anyways. So that's not really an education. Like it's just, we're just talking in circles at some point. Um, but I do think within the medical field, because that's largely where a lot of this lies, right? because it's a virus that's affecting people's health and people are dying um, and the kind of health care that we have. Maybe there is some measure of accountability there, but I'm just not knowledge enough in that field to say this is where the accountability should happen. I think on a larger public level, where we're talking about your decision on what you're going to do and my decision on what I'm going to do and just like being mean to each other at the end of it in hindsight, because hindsight's like, well, you were wrong on that. And I was right on this. But in that moment we had no idea. Right. Right. We like, we were all like, we we were all washing our bags of lays. (laughs) Well, I mean, some people weren't, but, um, because they thought it was just crazy from the beginning. Um, certainly are there better ways we could have handled it? Absolutely. Um, but a lot of that is hindsight. So, as Christians, which is like, that's what this podcast is, right? It's not just talking about uh, political and social issues, but actually looking at things that impact our lives and how do we see those from a biblical perspective and how do we see them from a Christian perspective? And so coming out of the pandemic, coming out of just a lot of difficulty, how do we as Christians continue to come out of this and the idea of forgiveness should be like on the forefront of our minds as Christians, because that's like kind of what we do.
1: Right. I mean, that's kind of the be. whole bag,
0: you know? Yeah. Like that, like that's what Jesus did. Right. Um, and it's not to say there should be some kind of blatant forgiveness that we should have. Um, again, if there are aspects of accountability that people should be held to, um, then absolutely. Yes. But am I, Tamra Jamerlin, the one who's going to decide what that accountability looks like?
1: Sure. You got a podcast.
0: No, I'm not (laughs) (laughs) because I'm not an expert in that area. Right. Like I wouldn't even know where to begin. There's so much, um, there's so many armchair experts out there right now and, That's not what I want to become. I don't want to all of a sudden become an expert within the medical field or an expert um, within viruses and how they spread and and vaccinations and all these things like we put people in places because we're supposed to trust them in the same way. um, I hope to some degree, whoever's listening here has some measure of trust in the things that we're saying or some measure of trust that um, we have done our research and we have talked about things and we have looked into things further than maybe just googling it on the internet because that's not that's not research i mean we, we had a whole course in undergrad and graduate school right on how to research right so you had to take anyways I'm going somewhere else now. (laughs) Sorry.
1: But I think what you're driving at is this tension between, as Christians, we are the people of truth, obviously, um, but we're also the, the people of grace, and Jesus was the perfect embodiment of grace and truth. And I think it was really important that Oster, when she was laying out this argument, she was kind of setting aside some of the... Uh, things that really that we do need to remain vigilant about. And that was uh, particularly the spread of misinformation and disinformation and the intentional spread of that as uh, it led to you know, negative outcomes. Like I think I remember uh, someone saying a treatment was like you would ingest bleach or inject bleach as a treatment for COVID-19. That was obviously false. And that was something that was spread in bad faith. Um, I think, um, I don't know how beneficial it is to go back and try to retroactively find the sort, the particular sources of these particular conspiracy series that have arisen in the midst of COVID and try to find some way to hold those people accountable. Um, but we do need to remain like vigilant uh, about those kinds of things because, you know, misinformation, uh, kind of continues to pervade and there are bad actors, uh, that continue to do that. And, you know, the bleach one is obviously, uh, something that, you know, was a headline. Um, I think another one is even like, there was a lot of talk about the, um, the origins of the virus and was it, in the lab in Wuhan, China, was it in uh, a cave where there was a bat in Wuhan, China? Um, honestly, we know now either one of those options is, you know, a possibility and a likelihood. Um, but there was a certain point where, if you said that I think it's possible, even if you didn't say like I think it did, if you said I think it's possible that it originated in that um lab in wuhan china then you would be like canceled and your twitter account would be you know deactivated you would be kicked off of facebook and things like that and part of that was because there was a lot of at the same time a lot of anti-asian hate that was being spread around and so people were saying like it it came from china and it's the china virus and da 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 and that ended up leading to actual literal violence in the street against uh innocent asian americans and uh Asian people around the world. Um, But at the same time, there was this um, technocratic censorship of something that was an actual legitimate possibility and everyone would admit now that that was a possibility. And so that does raise larger questions about the role of social media platforms whether it be Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I mean, this is a big part of why Elon Musk purchased Twitter um, because he wants it to be more Free speech, uh, free speech, oftentimes includes hate speech and misinformation. And so, where's the balance of those things? And and really grappling with the power that these tech giants have over that. Where we saw that there was there was obviously an infringement upon something that was not misinformation at the time, but was censored and and uh, the the kibosh was put on it when. Um, that was actually a suppression of something that might have actually been true. And so that sows a lot of distrust. And so I think there's some ongoing things that we need to remain vigilant about. Um, but I think even with those things now kind of being in many ways dead issues specific to the pandemic, I do think it is time just, you know, leaving aside the, the issues of misinformation and disinformation. And if we're just talking about the people, which is like the majority of people who were moving forward, making decisions in good faith, um, I do think it's probably time to offer some reconciliation and some forgiveness, even if those decisions were decisions that grieved you or um, negatively affected you in some way.
0: You bring up a good point of how we should even be nuanced of, Not in like specifically who we're forgiving and who we're holding accountable, but in many ways that those two things can exist in the same space together. I'm just thinking of particularly a lot of pastors who were leading churches. Like what kind of expertise do they have on any of this? But yet they are trying to lead, um, in, and especially for some churches, thousands of people, hundreds of people, certainly, their entire career is about gathering communities together, which is the one thing like we were trying to not do during the pandemic. And whether or not you agreed with your pastor in that moment of their decision on what they were doing. um, I do think to, to for many pastors, right? Some were really turned it and made it highly political. Um, So I'm not talking about those groups, but most pastors were genuinely just trying to gather the information that they were given and do the best within what they understood was happening and the best for their congregation. And we do see a lot of unfortunate trickling effects, right, that have happened on our society because there was this virus that was killing millions of people and If I'm a pastor and I'm calling my church to meet together, knowing I could possibly, not directly, but in many ways, like continuing to allow that gathering to happen, I like members in my church could die because they came to church. So there's the weight of that. But then you do have this now very real fallout of the world is opened back up. People are meeting together. And what happened during those moments of solitude during those moments of isolation was it better for churches to continue to meet because now you have like mental health issues is on the rise you have just the issues of people engaging back in the world with anxiety and loneliness and depression um so what even now what was the better choice
1: yeah and it's it's hard to say because again taking aside the 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 high-profile pastors that made it really political, um, and that was probably you know, if not the minority, the extreme minority, right? Um,
0: like most of your local pastors are not trying to make a political statement,
1: right? But they're genuinely
0: it, trying to make an honest decision for their congregation.
1: And in each of those decisions, um, some pastors and in some churches maybe open back up fully too early. Maybe others kept it locked down too long. And in each of those situations, pastors who are genuinely just trying to do the right thing for their community and their church uh, in whatever decision they made, they deeply upset roughly half of the people that were at their churches and then, in many cases, those people left and went to a church that made the opposite decision and just said, you know what, I'm not going to stick it out with you because I feel like you've just lost all credibility because you made this decision one way or the other, and I absolutely disagree with it based on my own politics. And I think that's had a really kind of, uh, yeah, it's had a toxic effect on the uh, American church. In many ways, it's just a microcosm of what's happened in the nation writ large, Um I read this article recently um, that was looking at um, a statistical analysis of uh, churchgoers and all of the church resorting that's gone on in the last couple of years. And what they found is that people are more highly valuing going to churches that hold their particular political stance rather than sticking it out with a pastor or a congregation that maybe has divergent views. And so, um, in many ways, we are placing the religious expression of our politics over and above even staying in community and having unity amid diversity, not just racial diversity, not just ethnic diversity, not just cultural diversity, but even political diversity. People don't seem to really have tolerance for that anymore and I think it comes uh, it comes from a lot of places but uh, it was certainly exacerbated and accelerated by um, just this hard stance that so many people took and now continue to take to refuse to see their church leaders and the people in their church in good faith and where they have made decisions that they think were wrong to even stick it out with them regardless of how careful or thoughtful they were trying to be in making those decisions. And that really comes from a, a place of, of bitterness and cynicism and ultimately unforgiveness.
0: Right. And the Bible has a lot to say about forgiveness. Like, I think that we can even just look at a few verses that speak pretty specifically to this aspect of it. Um, again, we're in this moment, we're talking particularly about like church leaders who were just trying to do the best they can, not necessarily like should we be keeping accountable people of leadership that knew way more about the virus and just didn't act because, you know, people are saying that's out there. Um, But for the common person, for the the common person that was doing the best they could with the information that we had, um, I think a lot of these uh, verses just in general on forgiveness apply to the way that we should move forward after this. Uh, So I want to look at just a few of them. There's obviously a whole lot more (laughs) verses on forgiveness in the Bible. It's kind of a big topic in scripture, um, but we're just going to look at a few. This one comes from Ephesians 4, 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I don't know that necessarily defines our churches right now.
1: I know a lot of people are pulling a Thomas Jefferson on that one, just cutting that page out.
0: Yeah, exactly. Another one, Matthew six fourteen to fifteen. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. It's a real fun verse, right? Right, Like, if you don't forgive, God won't forgive you. That's not exactly what's happening here.
1: Right, yeah. And so there are these New Testament commandments of forgiveness, and those are just two among a ton. Uh, but even if you look into the Old Testament and into the wisdom literature, not only does like Jesus command you to um, put away all bitterness and anger and slander and malice and unforgiveness, but if you look at the Proverbs, there are so many Proverbs that are like, it's actually just also practical and wise to put away all those things. So Proverbs ten twelve says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. And then in Proverbs 17, nine, it says, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. I think what we're experiencing right now is a lot of repeating the matter.
0: Yes. And I hear it in conversations where it just continues to come back up over and over and over, like things that are done. They're closed. They're not even decisions we have to make anymore where we are in today. And yet they just continue to come back up. It's like bringing back up old offenses. And what is most difficult about this topic is people aren't even agreeing that that was an offense or not.
1: Yeah, I think that has been a holdup for a lot of people too. Especially with this issue in particular where they say like, well, how can I declare amnesty? How can I declare forgiveness in this whole pandemic issue? if the people that I'm going to you know, forgive and release them from any kind of guilt don't even acknowledge that they're wrong. Like they're not sorry that they kept their church closed longer. They're not sorry that they opened their church sooner. They're not sorry that they had this stance or this belief and that they still have this stance or this belief. Um, again, because a lot of who is right and who was wrong is a matter of debate because there were so many points on which – we never all agreed and we never went on one course of action. So the person, a lot of it's still uh, theoretical at this point because, you know, we didn't all follow the mandates. And if we had followed all the mandates, would would it have been right? Would it have worked? Would it have not worked? And if we all just didn't, would it have been just fine the way it was? We don't know. It's it's still all theoretical at this point. And so I think um, even still just a lingering uncertainty, like that just angers people because they just so – Uh, want to be acknowledged for having been right um, because they care deeply, obviously, about the the welfare of their family and their community. Um, And they want to be vindicated in some way. And I think in many ways, we just need to let go of the desire to be vindicated, um, realizing that reconciliation is more important than vindication.
0: Yes. And the Bible never says... First, make sure someone comes and apologizes before you extend forgiveness.
1: Are you sure? I think we could probably find a verse that we could pull out of context and make it. Yeah, we could
0: pull it out of context. Yes. You must first come to me and tell me you were right and tell me you're sorry. And then I'm going to forgive you. And I understand these are not just like lighthearted issues, right? To put it in that kind of framework of say like, oh, please come say sorry. That feels a little childish. I do understand that. But in many ways... Like we have to come to terms with the fact that someone is not going to come up to us and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong about that. And particularly when it comes to our local communities, I think that that's where we're seeing so much strife. Certainly on public forums and, you know, social media, you can have this, like the common people to the influential people, the leaders who were calling everyone to rally, but those people were rallying like the common people were doing that and it's within our community groups that we need to start offering grace and forgiveness it's within our own churches it's within our own families i mean everyone had a different um view on how christmas was supposed to go 2 years ago right. whether or not we're showing up how dare you not show up it's christmas so
1: or how dare you how do dare show you up show it's up COVID. because it's covid yeah.
0: Like we're going to do a Zoom Christmas. Somebody else saying, no, I'm not going to throw my traditions away. I'm not going to stop living because there's a pandemic. And like, I can understand both sides. And I can understand the mourning of something important, right? And we need to be empathetic. And we, let me go back to that verse, because as even as I was reading it, I was thinking, "Well, wow, like imagine if we just did these things. Um, be- <laughs> so, imagine <laughs> if
1: we just listened to the Bible. Uh,
0: yeah. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Like, what would it look like if we were just kind and tender hearted? In those moments, your vindication doesn't matter. It shouldn't matter. As hard as that is, and as much as that is, also dying to self, right? Like dying to what you want, dying to what you think you need. Like Christ is bigger than that. The unity that we should have in Christ is so much bigger than our desire to be vindicated and even validated in our, in our rightness. Uh, you might have been right, but you still need to forgive the other person who might still think they're right. Because that's where we're going to see moving forward is actually carrying out the things that Christ is calling us to carry out and what better place for our cultures to start to see a shift than the church itself.
1: Right. We're supposed to be different than the culture around us and we really, but
0: instead we're just swapping churches, we're mirroring it. So that way we can start being more homogenized in the groups that we want to be in and The kingdom of God is supposed to be diverse, and like you said, not only uh, culturally and racially and ethnically, but when we think of diversity, we often think in those ways, but politically, it should be diverse too, and you should be able to sit next to somebody else who's on a completely different uh, end of the political spectrum than you, who had completely different views on COVID, on vaccinations, on mandates, and all those things, and still be able to be kind and tender-hearted. But we're not. We're just getting up and leaving and we're like mad about it. and We're in outrage. That looks like Facebook in real life.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot of people, I mean, particularly, you know, in evangelical spaces is a lot of conservatives who kind of cry about cancel culture because the, you know, the left does but that a lot. they're canceling their pastors. But those same people, it's it's Sorry. not to both sides things. Um, but it is true that, that both sides are trying to cancel one another. And we really just have to ask ourselves, is it better to be acknowledged as having been right and get your, your little crown of, I was right. And we bow to your wisdom. Or is it better that you have a family that loves each other and, uh, can come back together in the midst of and after a really difficult season, or do you want a church of people who are diverse and felt in different, uh, places on different issues, but can still come together because of their common love of Jesus and, and the mission of making his name known in your city or in your town or in your, your community or in your region. We just have to decide what we think is more important. And the unfortunate thing is, uh, A lot of people are thinking it's more important to get their crown of rightness than uh, to be tender hearted towards one another. And this isn't to like detract from like emotions were high.
0: They still are.
1: And they still are. Yeah. uh, But in the midst of like, the school is shut down. We can't meet at church. The The business that I work at is uh, suffering financial hardship because of these lockdowns. Um, there's decisions I have to make because of these vaccine mandates or whatever. Uh, understandably, emotions have been elevated. Um, but I think, again, now that it appears that we're beyond the worst of this crisis, I think maybe it's time to bring the temperature down on a lot of these things i mean my emotions were high too like we we've talked about these things we've written articles about these things we've had podcasts about what we think uh should be done and the man you know the posture that we should be taking that was over and against what other people even other christians were saying in that time and so emotions were obviously high and this isn't to say that you shouldn't have had opinions or shouldn't have vocalized those opinions or whatever it might be um but but now that it's water under the bridge it it, it maybe is time to lower the temperature a little bit and say, you know what? We got kind of crazy about that. We were all doing the best that we could. There were there were very real matters of life and death at stake. um But maybe it's time to, to put all this to bed.
0: And what you just described is not an easy thing to do. But I will admit, I still don't know if, our view on certain things was the right view. I know that we were doing our best to evaluate and understand and not try and pretend we were the experts. Um, And maybe along the way we did get something wrong. Maybe along the way we got something right. But at this point, our culture and our churches cannot continue to operate this way. Like something has to give And I would rather see the church lead in forgiveness than to see our society just implode. And as people who follow Christ, we are the ones who are really the most equipped to start to change the reaction, to start to bring down the temperature And that's because Christ is the one who should unify us and Christ is the one who should be most important in our lives and loving others should become the thing that is most important. And so if our opinion on something means more than loving someone, then we need to look internally and even just bring that before the Lord and ask for him to like change that in us because we're called to be people who are servants who, who lead our lives out of our love for Christ and extend the same forgiveness that Christ has extended to us, which is a high call, but it is one that we can do because we have the strength and the power of Christ within us.
1: Right. And I just want to give one example of how I've personally seen just the benefit of pandemic amnesty being declared, you know, just to make myself the hero here, but actually it, it takes, it's a two way street for it, for it to work. And there was actually, so, um, I'm on part-time staff at our church. I've been in a number of different roles over the past couple of years, but, uh, at the height of the pandemic, you know, before the pandemic and then going into it, my job at the church was, they call it guest services, which is basically, you know, the greeters, the parking, the ushers, uh, all those kinds of things. And in the middle of the pandemic, I think it was in, uh, like January of 2021, uh, the church leadership had decided, Hey, like, you know what, it's time for us to open up to have services in person. Uh, we haven't met in almost a year. Um, but at the time there was this big COVID surge that was happening and there was like a mask optional service and me as someone who was in the role of the guest services, you know, I just, in my heart, I was like, I just, you know what? I just can't, I can't abide by this and come and ask people to come and do all those things. And so I went to the person that I report to and I said, you know what? I'm, you know, I'm so sorry that this is not like, I don't hate you. I don't hate our church. I love our church. Um, but I just can't do this. Um, in a number of months when things have gotten better, I, I'm i willing to come back. Um, but I understand that like you need to make decisions based on my role, if I can't be there for a number of months. And they were very, like, empathetic towards me. They ended up, you know, moving me into a different role uh, where I didn't have to come in uh, to Sunday services, you know, pre-vaccine, in the middle of a surge and all those kinds of things. And the whole thing, like the, the lead pastor called me, we had a great conversation. They moved me into a different role. They ended up hiring somebody else in that position who was actually a better fit for that position in the end. And that team is, you know, doing really well. And now that like, we're all back to in-person services. And, um, again, the worst appears to be behind us. It's like so good that they didn't say hit the road jack. And I didn't say I'm leaving because your murderers and your Nazis and whatever um, because I understood that they were making difficult decisions. And even though I really like in my heart on a moral level disagreed with it in that moment um, and they on a moral level disagreed with me in that moment. um, It was worth it to stay connected. And obviously we had to move some things around logistically for us to, you know, have a different configuration because I couldn't fulfill that role anymore. But at the end of the day, um, it's so good. Like, because honestly, and I think I said this to, uh one of the people on the staff at the time, I said, you know what? In like a year, this is all going to be moot point anyways. So like let's not let's not blow up all our relationships over this. Um, and I think if we all kind of took that tack, um, We'd be able to salvage some relationships and we would, we would really be able to model for the world the kind of love that, that Christians can have for one another, even when the, that was like the height of emotions. That was the height of like everybody on their moral high horse about what their opinion was, myself included. Um, we can still end up on the opposite, opposite sides of those things. And again, a year later, here we are, year two years later, and we have declared pandemic amnesty on one another.